prophets' concerns and questions. Number 1. Adam God President Brigham Young taught what is now known as Adam God theory. He taught that Adam is our father and our God and the only God with whom we have to do. Young not only taught this doctrine over the pulpit at the 1852 and 1854 General Conferences, but he also introduced this doctrine as the lecture at the veil and the endowment ceremony of the temple. Prophets and apostles after Young renounced Adam-God theory as false doctrine. President Spencer W. Kemble renounced Adam-God theory in the October 1976 conference. We warn you against the dissemination of doctrines which are not according to the scriptures and which are alleged to have been taught by some of the general authorities of past generations, such, for instance, as the Adam-God theory. We denounce that theory and hope that everyone will be cautioned against this and other kinds of false doctrine. President Spencer W. Kimball, our own Liahona. Along with President Spencer W. Kemble and similar statements from others, Bruce R. McConkie made the following statement. The devil keeps this heresy alive as a means of obtaining converts to cultism. It is contrary to the whole plan of salvation set forth in the scriptures, and anyone who has read the book of Moses, and anyone who has received the temple endowment, has no excuse whatever for being led astray by it. Those who are so ensnared reject the living prophet and close their ears to the apostles of their day. Bruce R. McConkie, The Seven Deadly Heresies Ironically, McConkie's June 1980 condemnation asked you to trust him and Kimball as today's living prophet. Further, McConkie is pointing to the endowment ceremony as a source of factual information. What about the saints of Brigham's day who were following their living prophet? And what about the endowment ceremony of their day where Adam God was being taught at the veil? Yesterday's doctrine is today's false doctrine, and yesterday's prophet is today's heretic. Number 2. Blood Atonement Along with Adam God, Young taught a doctrine known as blood atonement, where a person's blood had to be shed to atone for their own sins, as it was beyond the atonement of Jesus Christ. There are sins that men commit for which they cannot receive forgiveness in this world or in that which is to come. And if they had their eyes open to see their true condition, they would be perfectly willing to have their blood spilt upon the ground, that the smoke thereof might ascend to heaven as an offering for their sins, and the smoking incense would atone for their sins. Whereas, if such is not the case, they will stick to them and remain upon them in the spirit world. I know when you hear my brethren telling about cutting people off from the earth, that you consider it is strong doctrine, but it is to save them, not to destroy them. And furthermore, I know that there are transgressors who, if they knew themselves, and the only condition upon which they can obtain forgiveness, would beg of their brethren to shed their blood, that the smoke thereof might ascend to God as an offering to appease the wrath that is kindled against them, and that the law might have its course. I will say further, I have had men come to me and offer their lives to atone for their sins. It is true that the blood of the Son of God was shed for sins through the fall and those committed by men. Yet men can commit sins, which it can never remit. There are sins that can be atoned for by an offering upon an altar, as in ancient days. And there are sins that the blood of a lamb, or a calf, or of turtle dove cannot remit, but they must be atoned for by the blood of the man. Journal of Discourses, Volume 4, pages 53 to 54. The doctrine was later declared false by future prophets and apostles. Yesterday's doctrine is today's false doctrine. Yesterday's prophet is today's heretic.
Number 3. Polygamy Brigham Young taught the doctrine that polygamy is required for exaltation. The only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy. Journal of Discourses, section 11, verse 269. Several other prophets after Young, including Taylor, Woodruff, Snow, and Joseph F. Smith gave similar teachings that the new and everlasting covenant of plural marriage was doctrinal and essential for exaltation. It's even in the scriptures, Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, verse 4. For behold, I reveal unto you a new and everlasting covenant, and if ye abide not that covenant, then are ye damned, for no one can reject this covenant and be permitted to enter into my glory. In a September 1998 Larry King Live interview, Hinckley was asked about polygamy. Larry King, you condemn it? Polygamy. Hinckley, I condemn it, yes, as a practice, because I think it is not doctrinal. We still have Doctrine and Covenants 132 canonized. We're still practicing plural marriage in the temples. Apostles Elder Oaks and Elder Nelson are modern examples of LDS polygamists in that they're sealed to multiple women. Polygamy is doctrinal. Polygamy is not doctrinal. Yesterday's doctrine is today's false doctrine. Yesterday's prophets are today's heretics. Number 4. Blacks Ban As you know, for close to 130 years, blacks were not only banned from holding the priesthood, but black individuals and families were blocked from the saving ordinances of the temple. Every single prophet from Brigham Young all the way to Harold B. Lee kept this ban in place. Joseph Smith permitted the priesthood to at least two black men. Elijah Abel was one of them. Walker Lewis was another. So Joseph Smith gives the priesthood to blacks. Brigham Young bans blacks. Each and every single one of the ten prophets from Brigham Young to Harold B. Lee supported what Spencer W. Kimball referred to as a possible error. Teachings of Spencer W. Kimball, pages 448 through 449. Heavenly Father likes blacks enough to give them the priesthood under Joseph Smith, but he decides they're not okay when Brigham Young shows up, and he still doesn't think they're okay for the next 130 years and the next nine prophets until President Kimball decides to get a revelation. The same God who denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, is the same God who denied blacks from the saving ordinances of the temple for 130 years. Yet he changed his mind again in 1978 about black people. Of course, the revelation he gives to the brethren in the Salt Lake Temple on June 1st, 1978 has absolutely nothing to do with Jimmy Carter's IRS potentially revoking the church's tax-exempt status, Stanford and other universities boycotting BYU athletics, we can't figure out who's black or not in Brazil, and that post-civil rights societal trends were against the church's racism. Christ's true church should have been the one leading the civil rights movement not be the last major church on the planet in 1978 to adopt it. As a believing member, I had no idea that Joseph Smith gave the priesthood to black men. I'm supposed to go to the drawing board now and believe in a god who is not only a schizophrenic racist, but who is inconsistent as well? Yesterday's doctrine is today's false doctrine. Yesterday's ten prophets are today's heretics. Number 5. Mark Hoffman First bullet point. In the early to mid-1980s, the church shelled out close to $900,000 in antiquities and cash to Mark Hoffman, a conman and soon-to-be serial killer, to purchase and suppress bizarre and embarrassing documents into the church vaults that undermined and threatened the church's story of its origins. The documents were later proven to be forgeries. 
Second bullet point, lack of discernment by the brethren on such a grave threat to the church. Third bullet point, speeches by Dallin H. Oaks and Gordon B. Hinckley offering apologetic explanations for troubling documents, Salamander Letter and Joseph Smith III Blessing, that later ended up, unbeknownst to Oaks and Hinckley at the time of their apologetic talks, being proven completely fakes and forgeries. The following is Oaks' 1985 defense of the fake Salamander Letter, which Oaks evidently thought was real and legitimate at the time. Another source of differences in the accounts of different witnesses is the different meanings that different persons attach to words. We have a vivid illustration of this in recent media excitement about the word salamander in a letter Martin Harris is supposed to have sent to W.W. Phelps over 150 years ago. All of the scores of media stories on that subject apparently assume that the author of that letter used the word salamander in the modern sense of a tailed amphibian. One wonders why so many writers neglected to reveal to their readers that there is another meaning of salamander, which may even have been the primary meaning in this context in the 1820s. That meaning, which is listed second in a current edition of Webster's New World Dictionary, is a spirit supposed to live in fire. Second College Edition, 1982, S.V. Salamander Modern and ancient literature contain many examples of this usage. A spirit that is able to live in fire is a good approximation of the description Joseph Smith gave of the angel Moroni, a personage in the midst of light, whose countenance was truly like lightning, and whose overall appearance was glorious beyond description. Joseph Smith History, Chapter 1, Verse 32 As Joseph Smith wrote later, the first sight of this personage was as though the house was filled with consuming fire. History of the Church, chapter 4, verse 536. Since the letter purports only to be Martin Harris's interpretation of what he had heard about Joseph's experience, the use of the words white salamander and old spirit seem understandable. In view of all this, and as a matter of intellectual evaluation, why all the excitement in the media, and why the apparent hand-wringing among those who profess friendship with or membership in the church? The media should make more complete disclosures, but Latter-day Saint readers should also be more sophisticated in their evaluation of what they read. So what just happened? Oakes defended and rationalized a completely fake and made-up document that Mark Hoffman created while telling Latter-day Saint readers to be more sophisticated in their evaluation of what they read. Fourth bullet point. Dishonesty by Hinckley on his relationship with Hoffman, his meetings, and which documents that the church had and didn't have. Fifth bullet point. The church was forced to produce, albeit reluctantly, documents that it had previously denied existed after Hoffman leaked to the media that he sold the documents to the church. Sixth bullet point. While these prophets, seers, and revelators were being duped and conned by Mark Hoffman's forgeries, the Tanners, considered some of the biggest enemies of the church, actually came out and said that the Salamander letter was a fake, even when the Salamander letter proved very useful to discrediting the church, the Tanners had better discernment than the Brethren did. While the Tanners publicly rejected the Salamander letter, the church continued buying fakes from Hoffman, and Elder Oaks continued telling Latter-day Saints to be more sophisticated. I'm told that prophets are just men who are only prophets when acting as such, whatever that means. I'm told that, like all prophets, Brigham Young was a man of his time. For example, I was told that Brigham Young was acting as a man when he taught that Adam is our God, and the only God with whom we have to deal with. 
Never mind that he taught it over the pulpit in not one, but two general conferences, and never mind that he introduced this theology into the endowment ceremony in the temples. Never mind that Brigham Young made it clear that he was speaking as a prophet. I have never yet preached a sermon and sent it out to the children of men that they may not call scripture. Journal of Discourses, chapter 13, verse 95. Why would I want my kids singing Follow the Prophet with such a ridiculous 183-year track record? What credibility do the brethren have? Why would I want them following the prophet when such a prophet is just a man of his time, if his moral blueprint is not much better than their Sunday school teachers? If historically speaking, the doctrine he teaches today will likely be tomorrow's false doctrine. If Brigham Young really was a prophet, seer, and revelator, would it not be unreasonable to expect that God would give him a hint that racism is not okay, sexism is not okay, blood atonement is not okay, and God's name is not Adam?